as we continue in worship and we go to God's word, we're reminded that Jesus not only lived 33 years and had three years of ministry, then went to the cross and that's it. No, we know that Jesus not only died on the cross, but he also rose from the grave. And in this sermon series, we've been looking at these resurrection encounters with Jesus that have changed everything. And we're going to continue in that series. In fact, today we're looking at a story that might be familiar to you. It might be familiar because it's a story about Jesus encountering his disciples where he's sending them. He's commissioning them. It's known as the Great Commission. And so I'm excited for us this morning as we go to God's word, we're reminded that every single encounter that Jesus has is different. There's no formula to it. There's no like, oh yes, A plus B equals C. That's not how this is meant to be. But this is for us to learn about who Jesus is and how he relates with us and how that encounter, that real encounter with the risen Christ can change everything in our lives. My hope today is that that this encounter with Jesus, the story of Jesus' encounter with his disciples, wouldn't just be a story for those people back then in that different location. I want it to be an encounter for you, for me. I want it to be an encounter for us today. An encounter with Jesus in a real way, an authentic way that would change everything in our lives. That it would change the way in which we see Jesus. The way in which we see ourselves and the way in which we interact with one another. Not just how we see one another, but the way in which we love Jesus. That we would lean in and love Jesus in a more intimate, real, authentic way. And that we would learn how to love one another in a better way as well. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be turning uh, to the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. And as I read this passage... You know, at the end of the reading, I'm going to say, and I say, we say this every week, I'm going to say this is the reading of God's word. And if you believe it to be true, why don't you just respond by saying thanks be to God. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. You know, I've been raised in the Protestant evangelical community. And we love this passage. I mean, this is like our amazing passage where we would recite this passage. We would point to this passage. We would say, this is where Jesus is sending us. We are a, a sent people. And this is true. We are a sent people. And then we would, you know, gather together in chapels or in sanctuaries. And, and uh, we would see these presentations from different missionaries. You know, they'd come with their slides and they'd put them into their little slide projector and a light would shine through the slide and project this image onto a white screen. Have you ever seen this? No, this was a thing. Like this is, 
you know, of course, baby boomers right now are like, of course this is a thing. And, and Generation Xers, right, we, we might be like, yeah, we remember that. And Gen Z or, you know, millennials are like, what? Like, what are you even talking about? Yes, there was this projector, this slide image that we would learn about these amazing mission trips. You know, some people would go to Mexico. Uh, others might go to the Philippines. Some might go further deeper into South America or into Africa. And they'd come back and report all the amazing things that God is doing. And it was a huge celebration. It is a huge celebration when we have these moments. And that's what I would envision every single time that I would come to this text. So maybe if you're like me, you read this text and you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe I need to go on a mission trip. Maybe God's calling me to, to live abroad. Or if you're like my wife, you might be thinking, well, maybe Jesus is calling me to travel more. (laughs) Like travel is good and mission trips are amazing and living abroad or going to the ends of the earth, to the far stretches of the world, that would be incredible. And yet that's not what Jesus is saying in this passage. You see, Jesus, yes, he uses the word go. Go, therefore, But in this passage, that go is more like in your going, right? In your everyday, as you go, in your everyday and everywhere with everyone, whether it's the grocery store or to the office or to the park, in your going, make disciples. Now that might not be as compelling as go to, you know, fill in the blank country, like, wow, that's exciting. I want to travel. I want to see new things. I want to meet new people. Yes, that's, that is amazing. And we should do that. But in this moment, it might not be as compelling for Jesus to say, in your everyday kind of going, make disciples. And yet this still is a great commission. It's an amazing commission. It's an it's a encounter with the resurrected Jesus. This, this commission comes from this resurrected Jesus. And this commission changes everything. It changes everything in the way in which we disciple, in, the way, in what we teach, in, in who we teach, and in who we're with. And so let's go back to the text. We're going to look at this together. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to start in verse 16. Now, before we jump into Matthew 28, 16, I want, you to get, I want to give you some context as to where we are in this story. You'll see that in 28, 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Well, where's Galilee? And what's Galilee about? Well, if you remember, I mean, there's so many stories about the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples are now on this mountain. It's funny how we use the word mountain, right? Uh, in California, we're like, oh, we're going to the mountains. And if you're in Colorado, you're like, mm, that's not a mountain. It's like in the Sea of Galilee, in the, in, the, in the surrounding areas, the mountains that surround the Sea of Galilee is more like the Santa Monica Mountains, okay? You, you might be able to picture that or your local hill or something, you know? It's a higher ridge that gives you a view, that gives you a little bit of a, of a distance to see over something. And the disciples are up on this mountain and they're overlooking the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee. Do you remember any of the stories in Scripture about the Sea of Galilee? I mean, let's think about it. Do you remember the story where um, 
Jesus was caught uh, sleeping. I don't know if he was caught sleeping, but he was definitely woken up while he's sleeping in a boat while a storm was raging and all the disciples are freaking out. Do you remember the story? They, they all thought they were going to die and Jesus is sleeping in the same boat. And they wake him up and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, get up. We're about to die. And he's like, Ugh. I picture him kind of like rubbing his eyes, like speaking to the storm, just cut it out. And then like, just like, almost like it's an annoying alarm. And all of a sudden the storm just stops. Like that happened on the Sea of Galilee. The same Sea of Galilee where Jesus later, um, oh yeah, he walked on water. <laughs> that happened at the Sea of Galilee. And it wasn't just Jesus that walked on, the, on water, but that Peter walked on water. Yes, yeah, sure, okay, yes, Peter sank. But I'm, <laughs> I guarantee you, Peter got further on water than you and I ever have. Like he took some serious steps so Jesus and Peter have this amazing memory along with all the disciples that were in the boat of not only the storm being, being silenced and calm, but the opportunity to actually walk on water. That's a memory you will never forget. And there's another memory, a, 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 a significant memory where Jesus is surrounded by a crowd. I mean, a massive crowd. And surrounded might not give you the right image. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, like uh, claustrophobic. You know, he's getting pressed in on every side. And he's wanting to teach this crowd. But the crowd is like trying to get so close to him that they're actually pushing him into the sea. And so rather than like wading into the water, Jesus steps into a boat. And it was a boat of Simon Peter, the fisherman. And he steps into this boat. And he begins to teach the crowd, just having pushed the boat just a little bit offshore. And he teaches the crowd. And after he's done teaching, do you remember the story? He asks Peter to push off a little bit further into the sea. And then he says, Peter, I want you to toss your net onto the outside of the boat. And Simon's like, listen, teacher, I've been fishing all evening. I haven't caught anything. He's like, just try it. And he does, and you know how it ends, right? The, 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 the nets are filled with fish. They are like about to burst. And right then and there, Peter's like, whoa, I am a sinful man. Like, uh, what am I doing in your presence? Who are you? And at that moment, Jesus calls Peter to say, he says, follow me. He says, yes, you're a fisherman right now, but I want you to be a fisher of men. I want you to go and fish for people. He invites Peter into his ministry to, to gather people into the net of the kingdom of God. That's where we are in this text, in this moment. Peter and the rest of the disciples are overlooking this scene, looking into the Sea of Galilee, remembering all these amazing memories of the encounter of the pre-resurrected Christ. But today... They're sitting with, they're talking with the same person having been resurrected. And now his commission is about to change everything. Okay, so that's some context for you. They're about to make disciples. Jesus is commissioning them to say, go in your going, make disciples. <laughs> I have to pause again because, again, we don't use the word disciple a whole lot 
in our common everyday language. It's not like you go to your friendship groups and be like, hey, so like, who are you being discipled by these days? Like, we don't say that. We don't use this word. And so it's important for us to ask ourselves, like, what is discipleship? What does it mean to make a disciple? You know, it might not be a common word that we use in our everyday language, but it is a, a very common to our culture. In fact, we are a culture of disciples who make disciples. We just don't call it that. Let me give you an example. Um, do you have a favorite sports team? Who knows about your favorite sports team? I mean, if you're a sports fan, do you share this information? Do you wear the garb? Do you know the players? Do you advocate and champion this team? Do you try to recruit people to be fans of your sports team? Like you are making disciples of your favorite sports team. Or let me give you another one. Uh, How many of you are watching or are now Formula One fans? Like you weren't a Formula One fan before, but now you are like all about it. You've binge watched every season of Formula One, you know, uh, Drive to Survive. Like, thank you, Netflix. Like that, I was not a, a Formula One fan. And now like, I love the show and I'm sharing it with other people. I mean, there's so many shows on television now where we do this. We watch it and we're like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to tell somebody else. And you have this encounter with this show and it's more than a show. You know the characters, you know the story. You can recite every single episode and every line and you're crying. And yes, I'm referring to This Is Us. I mean, there are just so many shows like that that we love. It might not be a sports team. It might not be a show, but it could be your political party. (laughs) Yes, we talk about this, right? We all have different opinions about politics And yet whatever political party we tend to align with, we tend to just want to recruit people to that party and we want to recruit people to that platform and we advocate and we send emails and we have conversations and it's just like we are trying to disciple other people into something. You know, in Los Angeles specifically, you know, we are a a city of disciple makers, a city of influencers, whether you're posting on Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter, you're, you're making disciples or you're being a disciple of somebody else. You're learning from someone. You're following someone. We use this language. We just don't use the word disciple. And so here we are, where Jesus is saying, go and make disciples. But Jesus is saying something very different than how we understand in our cultural context what it means to influence someone to guide them to recruit them into something no a Christian disciple is different it's different than an apprentice it's different than uh, simply learning a craft see craftsmanship is about perfection it's about mastering something but discipleship is more about a rhythm it's more about relatedness discipleship is all about relating with Jesus Christian discipleship that's what it's all about and so we go back to you know the gospel according to Matthew and I want you to hear Jesus's invitation we're not in Matthew 28 right now I'm about to go to Matthew chapter 11 because I want you to hear Jesus's invitation for us as his disciples Matthew chapter 11 verses 29 through 30 Jesus asks us are you tired Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? 
Come to me. Oh, what an invitation. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you will learn to live freely and lightly. Oh, I love that invitation into discipleship, into following Jesus. Come to me, Jesus says. It's a relationship. It's a rhythm. It's more like a dance than it is a discipline. It's important for us to understand what Christian discipleship is all about. A disciple. We are to be a disciple who makes disciples. People who invite others to keep company with Jesus because we ourselves are keeping company with Jesus. Now that might sound simple enough to you. (laughs) And yet this invitation to be a disciple who makes disciples changes everything. Specifically, we're going to look back at Matthew chapter 28 and we're going to learn how this encounter with Jesus changes what we teach, who we teach to. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, and we're going to look at just the first part of verse 19. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. We've already talked about this, but let's jump down to verse 20. And teaching them, Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything, and I want you to catch this, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. I want you to circle that word I. I want you to circle it, underline it, highlight it, select it, whatever you need to do, grab hold of that word I. We are to teach people everything that Jesus has taught us. Discipleship is not about a program. It's not about a platform. Discipleship is all about leading people to a person. And the person is Jesus Christ. The person who, in the Gospel of Matthew, gave his most famous sermon, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that sermon was actually preached on this very same hill that we find ourselves in today. This passage where Jesus is meeting his disciples as a resurrected Christ Before the resurrection, Jesus also met his disciples on this very same hill. On this hill, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, Jesus not only preached, but he reveals the heart of God. You can find this in Matthew chapter 5. But before then, we go to Galatians or Colossians chapter 2. We don't have to go there, but Colossians 2 9 reminds us that in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, All the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. We go on further in in John chapter 14, verse 9. He says that if you've seen me, Jesus says this, if you've seen me, disciples, then you have seen the Father. So when Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount and he's about to give this amazing sermon, the, the sermon of his life, he's not just revealing the heart of God. He's not just being a a good teacher or saying wise things. He's actually revealing his own heart 
for us as we follow him. Listen to this. Jesus, God in the flesh, takes the time to reveal the truth about the very heart of God, what matters most to him, what actually moves him, what actually moves the heart of God. He says this, God's heart moves toward the poor in spirit. For those who mourn, on behalf of the humble, God's heart moves when we hunger and thirst for just and right relationships, when we long to to relate in right ways, in, in, in honoring ways with God and with one another. According to Jesus, the heart of God moves. It moves in those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, the peacemakers. The heart of God, Jesus says, moves on behalf of those who are persecuted. Not for our foolish actions, right? It's not because of, oh man, that was dumb and and people say that. Like, no, that's not persecution. When we experience persecution on behalf of following Jesus, because we're doing the things that Jesus wants us to do. On behalf of justice, because we acted on behalf of the heart of Jesus. See, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount overlooking the Sea of Galilee, right? He's teaching us what matters most to God. He's teaching us what moves God's heart. And he's teaching us what we are to teach. See, following Jesus is all about knowing and being known by God. It's all about loving, but but it's, it's about being loved by God. And from that place of being known and being loved, that place of loving and knowing God, that from that place, we allow God's love to transform us as people, not only to transform us, but to flow out of us into the lives of others as we disciple them into this relationship. See, the encounter with the risen Jesus changes everything. It changes what we teach so that it aligns with the very heart of Christ. It aligns with a person. We teach towards the heart of God. We teach towards the person of Jesus Christ. The resurrected Jesus not only changes what we teach, but it changes who we teach. Let me show you. In Matthew 28, verse 19, we're still there. Yes, Matthew 28, 19. Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I want you to stop there. That phrase, all nations, is actually one word. The word in Greek is, is ethnos. Yes, you can hear it. It's where we get our English word ethnicity. Jesus is saying, go, therefore, and make disciples of all ethnicities. You know, uh, in his book, uh, When the Kings Come Marching In, American theologian and former president of Fuller Theological Seminary, Dr. Richard Mao, uh, he states that in Jesus Christ, the barriers of race and clan and tribe and tongue are being abolished. Redemption restores the work of creation. And in doing so, it also repairs the damage done by sin. He goes on saying that the Christian community ought to function as a model of, a pointer to what life will be like in the eternal city. In the eternal city of God, the church must be here and now, a place into which the peoples of the earth are being gathered for new life. 
I love that. And this is what Jesus is calling his disciples to do, commissioning his disciples to do. Go in, the, in, in, in your every day and bring in all ethnicities, bring in all the nations. And I imagine when the disciples hear this for the first time in this encounter, they're like, you want me to do what? You want me to do what, Jesus? Like this doesn't make sense. Because up to this point, they must have thought that the Messiah was primarily for the Jewish community. In fact, Jesus spent his full three years of ministry focused primarily on the Jewish community. The disciples spent their three years fishing in the Jewish community for people to bring them into the kingdom of God. And so in this moment, Jesus is like, I'm about to switch it up, not change it, not substitute, not exclude. I'm about to yes and what I told you before. What we did over those three years, I want you to now yes and that. I want you to bring in the Gentiles. I want you to bring in all nations. The good news is for the Jew and the Gentile. And in in fact, this good news brings us, it unites us together as one people, the people of God. Here, Jesus is including the Gentiles. He's not excluding the Jews. Jesus was Jewish. His disciples were Jewish. Everyone that they were relating with at the time were Jewish. And yet Jesus is saying, I want you to go beyond that. I want you to yes and this ministry and I want you to include the Gentiles. You might remember uh, the famous quote by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. He quoted this in 1963. The Reverend Dr. King said, it's appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. That was almost 60 years ago. Unfortunately, not much has changed. But as Beller Church, we're committed to making this change. We want to be a community of all people, inviting everyone in. This is the kingdom of God. We want to represent the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, in the here and now, not just some future state. See, when Jesus was commissioning his disciples to reach all nations, he wasn't simply advocating for white churches to you know, uh, bring in you know, more black Christians or black churches to bring in more white Christians or Asian uh, churches to bring in more Latino or Hispanic Christians or you know, vice versa. He, it wasn't so much about that. Jesus is saying, I want you to think even bigger. I want the Jewish church at the time, because that's all it was, I want the Jewish church to open up the doors to everyone that all of us would come in. All of us would be a part of the same community, that we would learn to love one another, we would learn to listen to one another, and that we would together grow more intimately in relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying to the church, all of us are invited in. And why do I stress this? Why is this important? You might be thinking to yourself, well, yes, and I've been in for a long time. This, is, this isn't something new to me. But for the, excuse me, for the majority of us Christians, we are here 
the reason why you're watching right now, the reason why I'm preaching right now, we are here in this moment because of an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. This encounter has changed everything for you and I. We are the nations. I mean, unless you come and you're part of like, you know, if you have, uh, the, if you're part of the Jewish uh, community and you are now a Jew, Jewish believer in the Messiah, then yes, I, I don't want to exclude you. I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is, is speak to majority of us who are in fact the very people that Jesus is calling his disciples to reach. And why is that significant? Because I think a lot of times we consider ourselves insiders. We consider ourselves to be like, yes, of course this is for us. And we can be proud about that. We, we end up puffing ourselves up and saying, this is, yeah, this is for us. And yet this whole time, this is something that's transformative. This is something that has changed everything. Jesus is saying, you know, I want you to reach the nations, I want you to include them and we are those outsiders that Jesus has brought in. We are the church, the vine that's been grafted in. The branch that has been grafted into the vine, like that's you, that's me. There's humility in that. There's no room for superiority in the kingdom of God. It's not for a specific ethnicity. It's for the, the fullness of humanity. Unless you're a Jewish follower of Jesus, we go, as Jesus sends us, we go as Gentiles. Once outsiders who have now been brought in. And we come together with all the beauty that is the representation of all of our ethnicities. We celebrate that. It's beautiful. So when we go and make disciples of all nations, we go with humility. We don't go with superiority. There's no ethnic claim on the kingdom of God. And when we encounter one another on this, on this go, on the go, we, we encounter one another with awe and wonder, with interest, with, oh my goodness, look at what God is doing in the world. We gotta go with awe and wonder. The resurrected Jesus changes everything. He's changed what we teach he changes who we engage with, but he also changes, well, let's go back. I want to point this, point this out. Let's go back to, you know, Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to look at the second half of verse 20. We've read this first part, and, and Jesus is teach, says, and I want you to teach them, which is you and I, everything, to obey everything that I have commanded you. But I want you to catch this, and remember, remember Remember, disciples, Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, discipleship is different from simply a trainee learning a craft. It's different because it's about a relationship. It's about saying yes to Jesus' invitation to keep company with him, to learn how to walk with Jesus freely and lightly. Author and theologian Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, writes this. He says, For most of my life, I have struggled to find God, to know God, to love God. I've tried hard to follow the guidelines of the spiritual life, pray always, work for others, read the scriptures. 
and to avoid the many temptations to dissipate myself. I have failed many times, but always tried again, even when I was close to despair. Now, I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. The question is not, how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself be found by him? The question is not, how am I to know God, but how am I to let myself be known by God? And finally, the question is not, how am I to love God, but how am I to let myself be loved by God? For many, this might be a complete paradigm shift. Christianity has often presented us as something that, that we need to pursue, something we need to perfect, we need to please. And yet this whole time, it's about this relationship with God, this relationship with the resurrected Jesus. See, trying to pursue and please and perfect is all about religion, but Jesus is all about relationship. And the kind of relationship, this kind of keeping company with God is kind of like the relationship where you have a friendship. And you know how when you walk into a room with a, a real friend, with someone that you can just kind of exhale, oh, you know, let your guard down, just be yourself. That's how you relate with Jesus. That's how Jesus is, in, is inviting you to relate with him. Just be yourself. Be honest. Don't try to hide. Don't try to filter who you are before God. God already knows. God wants you to know him, but God wants you to be known by him. He wants you to share yourself with him, not with fear, but with honesty and relatedness knowing that you are going to be met by love, the very love of God. I just think this sounds so good. <laughs> just, I love Jesus' invitation to us. Keeping company with Jesus should never feel forced. Look, I might be more introverted than extroverted. You might be more extroverted than introverted, but every single one of us, as we encounter Jesus, we walk away from this relationship. In fact, we never really walk away. We walk into and we walk with this relationship, being refreshed, being renewed. Walking with Jesus is meant to be life-giving. It's beautiful. So yes, it's, it's, it's wild that I'm just talking about us having an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. That's the invitation. With Jesus God in human flesh, Jesus is inviting us into real intimate relationship with him. To be a disciple who makes disciples who have a real intimate relationship with Jesus. It's amazing. The truth is, is that when you are with Jesus, when you're with Jesus, you're in good company. You're in good company. So today, I don't know what company you're keeping in fact, you might be watching this and you might be feeling very alone. You might actually be alone, but guess what? You, the good news is that you don't have to. Jesus promises you, he promises me that we, that we don't have to be alone. Why? Because he wants us to know that he will always be with us. He's always gonna walk with us. And you might not have ever said yes to Jesus, but I wanna tell you, in this moment, Jesus has already said yes to you. 
at this moment, all you have to do is acknowledge him, to recognize him, to, to communicate. And it's not like complicated. It's not like this specific formula. There's no like magic chant that you have to say. It's just you being authentic. It's you being honest before God and saying, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to be known by you. I want to have this kind of relationship with you. I want to walk with you. I want you to teach me this life-giving way. I want to be saved by you. If you've never done this before, if you've never even had a conversation like this with Jesus, don't turn off your television without saying yes to Jesus. This is Christ's invitation to you now, in this moment, right here. Say yes to Jesus today. And for some of us, we might have already said yes to Jesus, and yet in reflecting on this, we're wondering, who am I being discipled by? And what or who am I discipling toward? You know, what am I following? And maybe there's a, a, a realization in our lives that we need to shift. We need to turn. We need to repent. It's an opportunity for us, church, to, to lean deeper into relationship with Jesus, to say yes to him, to recommit our lives to Jesus and to his great commission that we are not just disciples for ourselves, but we are disciples who make disciples. What a beautiful invitation. As you are met by Christ, as you lean in, as you seek Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus is running after you in the most beautiful way to embrace you. You think you're turning to Jesus, but Jesus has been pursuing you this whole time. Church, let's say yes to him. Let's lean in deeper into this relationship. Not a relationship with Jesus who died, but a relationship with Jesus who died and who is alive, who is alive today. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you came into this world and that when you died, you didn't just stay in the grave, but that you rose again and that you, you commissioned your disciples. And in that commissioning, Lord, you sent them to save a sinner like me. I'm humbled by that truth. I'm humbled to be called your child, to be a part of the family of God, to be able to represent your heart to this world. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. And we accept it. We say yes to it. We want to follow you, Jesus. We want to be all about the things that, that you're all about. We want to represent what the, the kingdom of God, what, what heaven is going to look like. We want to represent that here on earth. We want to know and, and value our brothers and sisters of all nations, of all ethnicities. Because you do. And you see the beauty in all of us, Lord. And we want to do that as well. Help us. Strengthen us. Lord, as you call us, as you send us out in our everyday, in our everywhere, in our, with, our, with everyone, Lord, we say yes to that. We trust that we do not do this alone, but that you walk with us. Jesus, this encounter with you today changes everything. We praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen.